morning, church. Good morning. Uh, the word for today is in First Timothy, one twelve to twenty. I thank, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that He considered me. Thank you. Thank you. I thank uh, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his uh, service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for, the, for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners. Christ Jesus might display his immense passions as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have reject, rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. This is the word of, of Jesus. Amen. Praise be to God. Thank you, Ali, for reading the scriptures for us here this morning. <clears throat> All right, so um, I'm going to pass the peace of Christ. May the peace of the Lord be with you. All right, well, welcome to our service this morning. Uh, if you are new with us and this is your first time here at our church, welcome to our community. Um, we're glad that you've chosen to join us uh, this morning, and uh, my hope is that you will warmly welcome and received here today. If you haven't had the opportunity to fill out a Connect card, uh, please grab one from the front table. One of the ladies will uh, help you on the team, and, uh, and that's just a way for me to be able to connect with you and get to know you, maybe grab coffee or a meal together uh, so that we can get to know each other a little bit better. <coughs> Now, last week we started First <clears throat> um, Timothy. Um, we started our new series last week, and in that message, we looked at Paul's instructions to Timothy to command the people in the church who were teaching false doctrine and theology to stop. In that particular season, the church was struggling and in a very unhealthy place because of the false teachings going around in the church. <clears throat> We learned last week that Christian doctrine and theology need to be taken seriously because they have the power to shape our views and our understandings of who God is and the trajectory of our faith. Paul was adamant in the false teaching. It needed to be dealt with 
because it can lead to unhealthy, toxic, even abusive living and practices. It's like a habit, isn't it? We all have bad habits in our lives. And I'm not asking us to share any of those bad habits this morning. We know what they are. But bad habits produce unhealthy life practices. I'll take food and eating as an example for all of us because we all need to eat. But one and what we put into our bodies matter. Right? As a result, our bodies can be healthy if we put and eat, for the most part, healthy foods into our bodies. We feel better. We have more energy. But when we don't do that, when we put unhealthy foods into our bodies consistently, our bodies don't feel as great. We don't have as much energy. We feel lethargic, tired all the time. We're not as sharp mentally. But even the things we put into our minds shape us, doesn't it? There's a lot of information on the internet today, but not all of that content, theological specifically, is healthy for us to consume. There is good theological content, this is true, but there are also unhealthy and toxic ones. We need to be able to tell the difference. If we feed our minds and our hearts with unhealthy Christian teaching and theology, then it does produce unhealthy patterns and an unhealthy mindset in the way we live out our faith. But the opposite is true. We need to, when we feed our minds and our hearts with what is orthodox, what is healthy doctrine and theology, it does shape us for the better. So Paul ends that first portion of his letter to Timothy last week with the gospel of Christ being entrusted to him, right? God has entrusted me the gospel. Now he continues his thinking in our passage this morning that was read to us by Ali, with a testimony when he writes these words, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul is continuing his line of thinking that God has entrusted him with the good news. And now he thanks God who has considered Paul trustworthy, calling him to serve. Now it looks like he goes on a bit of a tangent, right? What does this have to do with his testimony? But things, but this, it, it does make sense. Paul is saying that, the, that who is God that he would entrust this amazing word, gospel, to him? Listen to his confession of what kind of person he used to be. I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Paul gives thanks to God for the opportunity to serve him. Right? The word service here occurs 34 times in the New Testament. And the word serve occurs 37 times. So all that to say is that it is an important concept. There is a, it's a pretty clear idea that, that the theme of service or serving has an important place in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. Paul would pen the following words in his letter to another church, the Corinthian church. And he says, there are different kinds of services, but the same Lord. You see, throughout the New Testament, there are all kinds of people serving in all kinds of ways. For example, in the book of Acts, it tells us a story 
of when God's people were waiting on tables, providing food for those who needed it, and others were teaching God's word. In both cases, people were serving God. Different kinds of service, waiting tables, teaching, theology, doctrine, but they were all serving the same God, whether it would be serving the needy or teaching, shaping theological ideas. And I think what's important here to discern is that if we teach, that does not mean that the ministry or service um, is worth more than those who are serving um, those who are hungry. They are different, but one is not more important than the other. They are both important, and they are both needed. God has created each one of us uniquely, gifted differently, called to specific ministries and services. We are not all called to the same thing. God has given us various passions, and that diversity is needed within the body of Christ. But what is important is that we serve, that we are engaged in some sort and some form of service. Because by serving, we are giving away a part of ourselves to other people. We are made to bless. So whatever it is that we are called to do, that you are called to do, do it for the glory, to the glory of God. Now Paul is deeply thankful to Jesus Christ who has given him strength to serve him. And to serve God is no easy task. Friends, it takes a lot of courage, commitment, and strength to serve faithfully. Paul is reminded of his past, and he's grateful that God has allowed him to serve, even though he's had a checkered past. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, he says. Have you ever thought the same thing? Maybe it's not those three words. Maybe you've never blasphemed. Maybe you're not a persecutor, and maybe you're not a violent person. Or maybe you are. Maybe there are other things that you think, man, like, God, God has no idea what I've done in my past, what I've said, how I've treated other people. But God does know. You see, serving God is not a right, church. It is a privilege. And it is by grace that we can serve God in so many different ways. Our past is our past. We can't do anything to change that. But when we are in Christ, we have repented of our sins. We have turned around our lives. And that includes our past. We begin with a new slate. And if that was not true, then there was no way Paul could have served God. My question this morning is, what kind of man was Paul in the past? What kind of man was Paul? Well, he was a zealot. He was a blasphemer. Now, when I think of the word blaspheme or, or blasphemy, I think of what Jesus taught about blasphemy in the Gospels. And this is one of them. Uh, in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, it says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He, Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebub. Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. You see, the one forgivable sin that Jesus taught is the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Why is this sin considered unforgivable? I thought God forgives all sins. Everything 
but this one. Because blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not simply resisting the Spirit of God, but it is calling and attributing to the work of Christ as demonic and evil, satanic. The main example of this in the Bible is when we see the Pharisees who see the work of Jesus healing, raising people from the dead, allowing the blind to see, the deaf to hear. But they don't just simply reject the work of Jesus, but they're actively opposing his work again and again and again. They're actively resisting and rejecting the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We're not talking about struggling about our faith, struggling with sin or doubt. We are talking about a hardening of the heart over a period of time, right? Because blasphemy does not come from ignorance, but out of a willful, purposeful decision to continue to reject Christ despite hearing and despite seeing what he's done. In short, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is saying that the ministry of God is the ministry of the devil. And that Christ himself is empowered by demonic spirits. Isn't that what was said? Mark 30, 22. He drives out demons by demons. And to say this, and to spread it, to teach it to others, one cannot be forgiven in this life or in the life that is to come. Now, Paul says that he was such a man. He says, I am a blasphemer. I was a blasphemer. But the difference between what Jesus taught and what Paul is describing of his former way of life is that he lived, acted out of what? Ignorance and unbelief. Whereas the Pharisees were not ignorant. They heard what Jesus taught. They saw what Jesus did. And they still continue to resist and harden their hearts. They continue to firmly oppose Jesus. Now Paul eventually did have an encounter with Christ in the book of Acts chapter 9. And from that moment, he turned his life around and begins to follow Jesus. So there lies in the difference. Where a person who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit recognizes that this is the work of God. This is the words of God, but they will continue to reject. And they will harden their hearts and say, nope, not believing it. This is garbage and it's demonic. And I'm not just going to believe that, but I'm going to tell everyone else that this is garbage and it's demonic. That is blaspheming. So yes, Paul did blaspheme. And he also persecuted God's people. How bad was it for Paul before he came no? Before he, before he came to know Jesus. He actively looked for Christians and then put them in jail. And then he agreed to their deaths. And he has also attempted to force these Christians that he imprisoned and agreed to put to death. He actually wanted to force them to blaspheme. To blaspheme God. That's how bad. That's how bad it was. So this raises a question for me, right? For us, that we need to work through. Question is this. How could God welcome such a man into his kingdom? Whenever I come across Paul's story and how he came to faith, 
to Jesus. It reminds me of the story of a man by the name of Ted Bundy. I don't know if you know the story of Ted Bundy. Bundy was a serial rapist and killer who had kidnapped, raped, and taken the lives of at least 30 girls across seven states between 1974 and 1978 that we know of. The day before his execution, the death penalty, he was granted an interview, or he granted an interview with one Christian author and psychologist by the name of Dr. James Dobson. Now, during this interview, Dr. Dobson heard that Ted had received Jesus. So he asked if this was true. And according to this interview that Dr. James Dobson had with Bundy, he said that his coming to faith was genuine. Do we truly know if his confession and his repentance was real? Nobody on this side of heaven knows for sure. Nobody can say for sure. Only God really knows. But if Bundy's repentance was genuine, then God, before his execution, would have received him into the kingdom. But this goes back to my question with Paul, who was a blasphemer, who persecuted, who harmed God's people, imprisoned them, agreed to their deaths, made their lives miserable. He was a violent man. How could someone like this be welcomed into God's family? Well, we see in our passage here this morning where Paul says that it is by God's grace that God had shown him, Paul, mercy because he lived out of ignorance and unbelief. So what does mercy mean then? And how is it different from grace? When we're talking, um, we always need to define terms because when we don't, we end up actually talking past each other or people here in the, in the church will assume certain things about mercy and grace. So let's define these two terms. Let's start with mercy. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you and I deserve. Mercy is about God's compassion and his leniency towards us despite our sin. And through his mercy, God demonstrates, shows his willingness to forgive and restore us through our repentance that we might be brought back into a relationship with him. Now, grace could be understood as an undeserved gift that we have received. In the Bible, it refers to the free and unmerited gift of God to humanity. And grace is a central theme woven all throughout Scripture from the Old Testament all the way to the New. In the Old Testament, grace is often used to describe moments where God has shown favor to his own people despite their sin, despite what they've done wrong, despite their shortcomings, their flaws. Now in the New Testament, the word grace is the word charis. And we see grace revealed mainly through the person and work of Jesus. God's grace is made open, made available to all who believe in him, in Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross. So how can someone like Paul be welcomed into God's family? By grace, an undeserved gift given to us by God. 
In fact, none of us deserve to be a part of God's family. None. Not me, not you. Scripture is clear when in Romans, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even clearer yet, it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there is no one righteous, not even one person. So if you think about it, it's not just for people like Paul. It is not just for people like Ted Bundy. It's for everyone. How can any one of us deserve to be in God's family when we all have broken God's laws? Anybody here hasn't sinned? Raise their hand. No? <laughs> Nobody here could say that. Not even me. Because it is all in the name of grace. 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 There's a beautiful acronym for this word. G-R-A-C. God's riches at Christ's expense. The grace of God as Paul mentions, has been extravagantly poured out for us, all of us. And we may be here this morning listening to this and think, but that's not fair. How could God grant so much grace to a person like Paul, to a person like Bundy who did heinous crimes? You're right. Grace isn't fair. Christian author Philip Yancey says this about grace. says, grace is a gift that costs everything for the giver, God, and nothing for the recipient. Church, we should be glad to know that grace isn't fair because fairness deals with keeping score, keeping tabs. It deals with punishment and it deals with rewards. If grace were to be fair, then no one in this room, no one in this room deserves salvation, forgiveness, or hope. Fairness, fairness means that we get what we deserve. In the letter that Paul writes to the Roman Christians, he says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The consequence of sin is death. So what we deserve is death because of our sin. But look what Paul says about the grace of God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You see, gift, grace is a gift that is freely given to us by God as a result of what Christ has done, accomplished on the cross. It is, it is not free in the sense that God had to give up his son. But it is free in that we don't have to work and earn our salvation because Christ has already earned it for us. So Paul moves from his testimony, right? Look at me, the worst of sinners, look. And he says there's a trustworthy saying that you can put your confidence in. 
right? He says this, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul gets so excited. He breaks into gospel. And what is this gospel message? What is the gospel message? Can I ask you? I asked this to a couple of people in our small group this past week. I said, what is the gospel? If you had five minutes to share with somebody and you had to boil it to one sentence, what is the gospel? It's even highlighted there on the PowerPoint for you. What is it? Say it. Somebody say it. Say it, somebody. Come on. Anybody. Amen. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Right? And then he says, I'm the worst of all those sinners. Why would he say this? This wasn't hyperbole for Paul. He wasn't saying that he was the absolute worst sinner in the entire world. Because to say that would not have been true. But certainly he felt and believed that he was the worst. Because of what he did to God's people and what he did to God. He says that he is the worst, right? It's not that there's guilt there. Because he recognizes, he understands he's been forgiven. But he recognizes the gravity, the weight, the seriousness of his sin. And that his sin cost somebody their life. Jesus. You see, church, the more we realize and understand the weight of our sinfulness, the better we understand the scope and the depth of the largeness, the vastness of God's grace and forgiveness. The greater we recognize how destructive our sin is to ourselves and to others, between us and God, the deeper the appreciation, the sense of gratitude we have of God's love for us. This is true for for so many of us who have walked with God for so many years, we hear the gospel story over and over again and we, we assume that we understand. But actually, we just kind of back, pass through the story. We don't actually take the time to linger and to understand and appreciate the old, old story. Paul would say this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he goes on to describe that as sinners, we are powerless. We are ungodly. We are enemies of God. He, and he counts himself as one of them, but he considers himself the worst of them because he persecuted, he, he harmed not only God's people, but he harmed the Lord Jesus himself, right? In Acts chapter 9, it tells us of the story of Paul on the road to Damascus. He, he, he experiences Jesus. And Jesus says what? Why are you persecuting me? You see, God is patient. He was patient with Paul. And church, he's also patient with you. Jesus displayed enormous patience with Paul an example for all of us. You see, God wants us to turn to Him 
He wants us to put our faith in Jesus Christ, His Son, and receive forgiveness, reconciliation, a relationship that was broken, marred because of sin. And that was our doing, wasn't it? We're the one that wanted our way. We're the one that wanted to do things our way. We wanted to be God. And God for a millennia, maybe even more, is patient with us. Patient with you. He wants you to receive and experience His grace through His Son. So if you, I don't know, but if you have been thinking about a relationship with God for quite some time, I encourage you this morning to take a step of faith today. Come and talk to me or any one of our elders this morning about a relationship with Jesus. We would be more than happy to help you begin a relationship with Him. Now this wonderful gospel causes Paul to break out into praise again. He says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Who is this God who gives gifts of grace to undeserving people like ourselves? Who is this God who has given up his son so that we might live? This is the eternal God, immortal, invisible, good God. That's who he is. This God who has stepped into our world to save sinners like Paul, like you, and like me. And so when we experience the grace of God in our lives, there can be no other kind of response except for the one that Paul had. Praise and thanksgiving for God's amazing grace. Amazing grace. Who knows that hymn? How sweet the sound that saved a wretched man like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. There can be no other response. A while ago, um, we were going to meet a friend at New West. And we were late. So you know what I naturally did? When, when you're late, what do you do? You speed. <laughs> Hoping to shave off some time, right? And the reality is, if you're late, you're late. But I was like, no, I could probably shave like five minutes off, my, off our trip. So I sped. There was a cop that was waiting for us at one of the exit points. And obviously he pulled us over. Like he was like, I mean, he knew how fast we were going. So he stepped in front of the car. It's crazy, man. And of course we had to stop. Could you imagine if I ran him over? That would have been another crime. So we stopped. He comes over and says, hey, do you know, uh, you know how fast you were going? I was like, I do. He goes, okay, stay right here. I'm going to check your license plate registration. So he does this thing, comes back to us after a few minutes, and you know what he said? He said to me, he said, you deserve a ticket for being reckless. But I'm going to give you a warning and let you go. Don't do it again. Do, how, how would you have responded if you deserve a ticket? But then the police said, I'm going to let you go with a warning this time. Don't do it again. Would you be like, no, give me that ticket. I want to pay the $500 fine or whatever it is. And I don't need the discount that the city of Vancouver gives to us. You know, if you pay within 30 days or whatever it is. 
I don't want any of that. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give me two tickets, in fact. Would you say that? I was so relieved, so relieved that I didn't get a ticket. We would all be relieved that we didn't get what we deserve. And not just relieved, but we'd be happy. In some sense, you're like, I got away with one, right? I got away with one. And you'd be like, woo, you know, you'd be happy, you'd be happy that you didn't have to pay the ticket. And that is what Paul is saying here. There can be no other response to the grace of God but praise and thanksgiving. Wow, God, you're amazing. I deserve to die. But you have gifted your son so that I don't have to. Now, Paul returns his attention, right? He, he breaks down to praise twice, okay? He tells us about this glorious, amazing good news. Now he prints his attention to Timothy. This is what he says. He says, he says that his last few words here are an encouragement to Timothy to persevere, to fight the good fight, to fight the good fight. What is this fight that Paul is referring to here? I think it has a lot to do with last week. When Paul says to Timothy, command certain people to stop teaching false doctrine and theology because they can destroy the lives of these people. That is the good fight. You see, Christian ministry is not simply telling people about Jesus. It is a huge part of that. But it is a battle. It is a spiritual combat. And Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesian church to put on the full armor of God that our fight is not against human beings. It is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world. It is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul encourages Timothy to hold on to the faith with a good conscience, something that the false teachers had abandoned completely. And Paul identifies two, two people, right? Hymenaeus and Alexander. And these two men had fallen away from God's truth and there were others in the church who had followed their false teaching. This reminds me of another story of a man by the name of Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was a Canadian Christian evangelist. We all know Billy Graham, right? We all know Billy Graham. This was the more talented preacher, actually. He was actually more talented than Billy Graham in declaring the word of God. He came to faith in 1936, and for the next 20 years, he preached to tens of thousands of young people, inviting them to follow Jesus. But Templeton worked and served, as he worked and served along Billy Graham, uh, Templeton started having doubts about his faith. And by 1957, he had publicly denounced his faith in Jesus Christ. He first became an agnostic, and then he would, he would eventually leave God altogether, declare himself an atheist. Like Hymenaeus and Alexander, Templeton had also fallen away from God's truth. It's a sad story of how someone can abandon their faith in Christ, which is why Paul wrote to the Philippian church, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So church, what does the passage like just have to do with us here this morning? Well, if you haven't noticed, the focus on our passage here is on the grace of God. 
And there are three things that God's grace does to us, influences us, impacts us, as we experience it more deeply in our life. First, God's grace causes us to grow in our thankfulness and gratitude. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, when we experience God's grace in our lives, our hearts are filled up with gratitude and thanksgiving. Because we know that there is nothing we have done to have deserved the life that God has given to us in His Son. Experiencing God's grace does not have the opposite effect of like, I don't care, there's not this callousness or this hardness of heart. No, we don't become more hard or callous to what Jesus has done as we experience God's grace. No, we, as we experience God's grace more and more, our hearts are warmed because of what he has done for us and the realization that without the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we would be without hope in this life. We are, we're, we're, we're to, for damnation, basically. Hell would be for us. So how have you grown in grace this past week, friends? How have you taken the time to thank God for all the spiritual riches that you have received in Christ? For some of us this morning, God is calling us this morning to come to Him. Do not continue to resist God's grace. Come to Him today. Second, God's grace causes us to grow in our worship. Listen to Paul's breakout of praise to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. You see, friends, when we recognize the scope of God's love for us and the reach of God's grace and how undeserving we are, like Paul, we cannot help but respond with praise and with worship of who God is. The psalmist would write in Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, he says, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you are mindful of us? And the beautiful reality is that God does think of you and me. So much so that he has given us his son that we might receive life, mercy, kindness, compassion, You see, because worship is a means of grace. When we worship God, it is our response to the undeserved work of God in our life. Because everything about our faith is the byproduct, is the result of grace. Christian author Paul Tripp outlines three types of grace. First, the grace of forgiveness. Everyone's done something wrong. We've all sinned, and that means that we're guilty. Guilty people need to be condemned and receive the just consequences for their actions unless they've been forgiven and unless they've been declared guilt-free. This is where the beauty of the grace of forgiveness comes in. Jesus went to the cross to carry our sin, bear our punishment, so that you and I could experience complete forgiveness of our sins. Isn't that amazing? In Christ, we've been forgiven of everything that we've done wrong. And some here might not even believe it. 
Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. I would never share. These are one of the things that I would carry to my grave. You don't know. You're right. I don't know. But I know that there is no sin except for the one that we talked about this morning. There is no sin other than that that God would never forgive. There is no sin too large, too deep, too wide that God will not forgive. So think about your sin. God has forgiven that. Everything that you have done in your past, wiped clean. In your present, forgiven. And for your future, we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Second, the grace of acceptance. God not only has forgiven us, but he has also fully welcomed us into his family. Welcomed us into relationship with him. He adopts us as his children, and as a result of this, we have a father-child relationship with him. You see, friends, we can come to God with anything because of what Christ has done. The separation that sin once caused in our life we now, because of grace, have acceptance and relationship. And third, the grace of freedom. So the grace of forgiveness, the grace of acceptance, and the grace of freedom. God's grace delivers us from the bondage and the addictions of sin. I'm not going to ask, what are your addictions? But we all have them. Where we were once slaves to sin because of the work of God's grace, he has broken that stronghold and those addictions. We have freedom and give and grace, God's grace gives us the freedom, the ability to say no. To look at sin and once it was so attractive, we had no ability to say no. We just did it. Because of the grace of God, because of the grace of His Spirit, we now have the power and the ability to say no to sin and decide to turn to God instead. Church, how are we entering more deeply into God's grace today? When we reflect on these elements of God's grace, does this move us into deeper worship of God? And last but not least, God's grace causes us to grow in our service. So God's grace causes us to what? Grow in our gratitude and our thankfulness, in our worship, and in our service. Paul gives thanks to Christ for giving him the strength to serve, the opportunity to serve. We serve and give back to our community, to the places where God has strategically, specifically placed us in. And because we have received freely God's grace, how can we not also give in return freely as well? When I look at Jesus, he served when he didn't have to. He was God after all. Who is he that he served us? But one of Jesus' most beloved disciples, John, recalls a moment of grace when Jesus served his disciples by washing their feet. None of the disciples deserved this act of service by their Lord and God. 
And yet, here we have the master serving his students. So church, we have been freely given an extraordinary gift, the grace of God. And as we experience more of the depth and the riches of his grace, we must grow in gratitude, in our worship, in our service. And so may God help us as we continue to grow in his grace day by day, momentary by momentary in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the grace of God. I thank you for your grace that you have extended to us. Who are we, as the psalmist would say, that you are mindful of us, God, that you think about us. You are God. We are such lowly creatures, but a speck in the dust. And you have given us your attention. And so I thank you this morning, as like Paul would say in his letter to Timothy, that he is so grateful for your grace. He understands where he has come from, the depth and the wretchedness of his sin, the destructiveness of his sin. And you, God, have come and you have still wanted relationship with Paul. You still reached out to him. You still saved him. You still abundantly gave him your grace. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us this morning, not just this morning, but tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the day after that and the week after that, the month after that, the years after that, that you would perpetually fill our hearts with the the understanding, with the gratitude and thankfulness of the scope of your love and the depths of your grace. Help us to press in more, Jesus. We're just so thankful, Father, that we can sit here in your presence and receive your grace. More. More, God. More of your grace in our lives, Father. And so I thank you for our church. I thank you that you have given us your grace, that you have set us apart as holy, that you have set us apart so that we might follow you, that we might worship you, that we might serve you, that we might love you. All gifts of grace. Thank you. Thank you.